Thanks. Now, we are finding Jesus together. <laughs> and uh, that's the thing of being authentic is you can have it waxed. You might, have, you might be a visitor here and you've gone to churches where it's very professional in the worship. And I'm not saying our team isn't, but uh, I think sometimes we, we can look like we're not sure because we're not. We're dependent on this Holy Spirit. And, and so I'd rather be that kind of church that wants to be authentic, but it's like trying to find the Lord. Is He, is he there? Is He here? But be that, then uh, hey, we've, done, we've done the nice songs, we've done the great worship, but actually God wasn't in this place. And uh, so I'd rather God in this place. I mean, so yeah, I just, uh, yeah, happy Mother's Day to the mothers. I uh, hope... It is something special, something precious. Um, I think we could have done a little bit better. <laughs> my wife said, not me, my boys. <laughs> but, uh, but um, yeah, it is something precious. Our mothers, you know, the world is trying to blur the lines, what's a mother and what's a father, you know, and all those things. But yet it's something unique that God has placed in family because in that I mean, that's how he is built. That's how the fabric of society is built on that very thing of mothers and fathers and families. And, and so the enemy is trying to blur that. He's trying to say, well, it's not. You can be whatever you want to be and all the rest of it. But we celebrate at this church. We celebrate mothers. And so if you're a mother there, we love you. We just love who you are. And you bring such a blessing to us. Without you, well, we wouldn't be here. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, so um, I really just felt in my heart, I, I didn't know what to call it, but I, I wanted to say, talk about the reaching effects of Christ's love that shines on us. And I want to go to John 15, if you can quickly give me that scripture, please. And um, just the reading this, and I, I really felt, you know, just, just the Lord leading me in the scripture, it says, uh, let me read it from the... Projector, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, and if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Great, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And, um, you know, I've been just noticing just recently how many of you guys are going off the grid, you know, just as uh, load shedding's beginning to increase and, uh, you know, the, the time frames are getting longer and longer. It's like, you know, once was like a preference to some of us becoming more of a, you know, something on the horizon that was once there is now actually it's something I need to do. And, um, and let's face it, I mean, I've had to do it, I know, and just realizing how costly this is, actually, I've had to take some of the money from my bond and put it towards it. And I know some of you got businesses, and to keep your businesses going, it's something you've got to look at. Eh? It's like, it's a real reality. And, and so it's a very costly thing, isn't it, to have something like this? Well, if you don't know, talk to me, talk to Dan, he, he does the installations, but it's real. And... Um, you know, one of the things I've realized having solar panels, it's one thing when you put a lot of money into something, you want to make sure that nothing is going to obstruct your solar panels because you put a lot of money into that. 
no clouds. Well, today, like today, is, it's not a nice day for me. You know, like you gauge everything by the sun. And um, yeah, so, but because you spend a lot of money on it, you want to make sure that you're getting your money's worth. And um, I, I just realized that I thought my house was sunshine, you know, and everything was on it, but I started realizing there were shades that were coming over my house that I didn't know about. And I want my house to be shade-free, you know, because of that. And, you know, I, I, was, I used to stay in Donna Bay. Now, in Donna Bay, there wasn't trees. And uh, Laura and I, we used to have a garden, which wasn't much of a garden, because everything you planted there was like clay and sand, and so nothing really happened. We tried everything. And, but when we came to George, it was like completely different. I had a nice garden. It was a big garden. It had trees. And it's like, I love trees, you know, and it's like, wow, you know, everything you plant grows. It's like lacquer, you know, it's unlike Donna Bay. But, but when I got the solar panels, the trees started losing their importance, really, because, um, you know, it's more, yeah, it's more aesthetics, isn't it? It's, it's something beautiful, but, um, you know, something what's attractive and nice doesn't always do it when you need energy and power to sustain your household. It, it's kind of like those aesthetics. You kind of replace aesthetics and beauty with um, usefulness and practicality, really, <laughs> is what you do. And uh, I remember just, yeah, just looking at that. I mean, just to sustain your household, you've got to have a, a nice area in which the sun can just come and, and make things work. And so I, I just felt in line with that, you know, that, one of the things for us as Christians is, you know, is that when Christ came for us, it's like His love shines on us. And uh, it's like in that, it's like you need to put what, what is aesthetics away, what's not that important in order that you can receive what He has for you. And uh, in a sense, there's a priority list comes because, like I say, like for us, it's, it's not a cheap thing. You know, solar panels are expensive, but it's the same as Christians. You, you've got to realize that when Christ came, he paid everything, and the price was heavy. It was more than your solar panels. <laughs> it cost God his son. It cost the Father his son. And uh, so, yeah, just, and I want to talk about this because the reaching, I want to talk about the reaching effects of God's love and as He shines on us. You know, God's love is, is, you know, I've heard the saying, you know, God's love is unconditional. Now, and I have voiced this before, but it's not really in the Bible that, that saying, that God's love is unconditional. Um, and I want to look at some scriptures because I, I just feel in that, because there is a sense in which that statement is true, but there is also a sense in which that statement isn't true. And uh, I want to quickly, because we all know that statement is taken because of scriptures like John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life." Now that's, so that means God so loved the world. That's everyone. Am I right? The world. He loves the world. And so in that sense, God's love is unconditional. It's, there, there's no limit. <laughs> it's the world. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all, and I want to emphasize the word all here, that means there's no one that God wants 
that you should perish. Am I right? That's what that scripture is saying. And that we should all come to repentance. And, uh, and so that, in a sense, means all. That, that is the inclusiveness of God's love. Uh, and as I was just preparing my heart, is that there is a sense that God's love is reaching um, us. There's a, there's a sense in which God's love is far-reaching in all of us, and He saves us. But I want to say that there's, there's also that thing where we've got to realize that God's love is also in a sphere. It's in a place that, that as we come to Him. And I want to quickly read, because some of you might be feeling, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm really not worthy of the Lord. I'm really not worthy of His love. I'm not worthy. Do you guys ever feel like that? That you just feel today is just the day I'm not worthy of Him. I'm just, I'm just so fraught inside. I, I just feel like there's something in me that's not, it doesn't matter what I do, I just like everything in me is, is feeling unrighteous. Do you ever feel like that? I have. And, and I want to say if that is you, you might be that person today that you might feel, yes, like there's just nothing, nothing that I can bring to the Lord and, and, it's, and it's like, I'm, I'm the worst person in the earth. And I want to say, Paul, Paul will disagree with you. Because in 1 Timothy 1.15, um, let me just find it, sorry. Okay, sorry, not that one. <laughs> Where is it? Yeah let, me, yeah, let me read 1 Timothy. It says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of acceptance that Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. Now, you know what Paul's saying is, you think you're bad. Actually, I'm the worst. I'm the worst of sinners. Now, I want you to think about that. That's Paul. Who's ever killed Christians here? Anybody? You know, this is what Paul did for a hobby. This was his pastime. He, and, and he was a hunter. You know, he went, no, and he didn't go to the Kalahari like Martins and going to hunt buck. He went to go to the churches to go and hunt Christians. And you get people like Stephen, who was a deacon, who was like one of the, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And yet Paul was the guy that actually took him down. Now, can you imagine I mean, Paul's writing the gospel. When he says, you know, I'm the worst, I'm sure he must have been thinking of those moments. People like Stephen, like, I'm the worst. In fact, when, the, when Paul wanted, when he got converted, he came to the disciples. Like, the disciples, yeah, sure, I'm sure you're part of us, Paul. You know, and they needed to come to realize that this guy is sincere, that he really did, that God really did change him. And so when you look at Paul, I want to say we can't be too bad, really. Um, and Paul's saying that he's the worst, but, you know, God had to knock Saul off the horse in order to bring a conversion to him. And we can read that next 9 verses 4. And he said, when, when God says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I want to say all of us really are guilty of sin, but Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love in us is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so some of us here tonight, you might feel like you're the worst of sinners. I want to say, you know what Paul says? It says that when sin abounds, when my sin, doesn't matter how big and how big and how horrible your sin may be, God says, you know what, my grace abounds more. 
But you know what the key is in 1 John 1 verses 9? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so would you agree with me, there is a sense in which God's love is unconditional. It does reach the worst of us, okay? That is true. That statement is true. But there's also a sense in which that statement is not true, that God's love is not conditional. And if you read John 15 that we've been reading, so Jesus says to them, you know, come, what, what does he say? Let's, have you got that scripture again? Uh, yeah, for, uh, John 15 verses 9, it says, abide in my love. I want you to think about what he's saying here, abide in my love. He calls his disciples and he says, listen, you need to come here and you need to abide in my love. When you read that, you would agree with me that this love that he's talking about, it's not like an indiscriminate, indiscriminate love. It's not like a wholesale love. It's not like an inclusive love. Huh? When, when he says, come and abide in my love, it's not a generic thing. That's just for everyone. Because why would he be saying, come and abide in my love? So there's a sense in which God's love isn't just everywhere all the time, the sun shining on everything and everyone. There is a sense in which God will reach the worst of us. But here, he's saying, come and abide in a place. Now, I was looking at that word abide. It's pronounced, it's actually from the uh, Greek word, it's pronounced meno, which means it's in a place. It's in a sphere. It's a, it's a reaction to as we come and abide and dwell here. And so this is what he's saying. Come here. Come to where I am because there's a sphere of my love that you can come and dwell in. And so this isn't just for everyone. And I want you to understand this because I think we've got to realize that God's love is something which is also intentional. There's a sense in which God's love is for everyone but it's, there's a sense in which God's love is very directive and it's very intentional. And so when he calls the disciples, he says, come to my love, because this love is going to be something far greater than just an experience, I, I know God loves me. No, because this love is a saving love. This love is a, is a love that transforms you. This love is a love that changes you. It moves you from glory to glory. And he's calling us to that love. And so there is a sense in which we... we we can look at God's love in the generic that it's for everyone, but then there's a sense in which God calls us personally. He says, I want, I want my love to work in you. My love here in this sphere is not just a static thing. It's not just idle. It doesn't, it does something. And I want you to come here because this is a transforming love. And God's calling us to that place, church, that we're constantly living in that love. And he's calling us to dwell there. <clears throat> you see, it's this love that changes us. It's this love that moves us into the very nature of who Jesus is, that we look like him. Ultimately, that's a love that God wants to restore us to a place of wholeness. Hey? That's, who wants to be whole? Who wants to be free? Who wants to be transformed? And so, so he says, yeah, abide in my love. But then listen to this. And then he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You see, this love doesn't operate 
in nothingness. It operates in God's holiness. It operates in God's righteousness, which is why he's saying, look, in order for you to come and abide in this love, you have to keep my commandments. And so there's a sense in which God's love isn't just, oh, whatever we want it to be, I can just experience in love and I can still carry on living the way I want. I want to say you're not living in the love of God. You're not. And I've been challenged often on that. Sometimes I feel, God, you call me to your love, and yet there's things I'm just not willing to change. There's things I'm just not willing to, to allow you in, that your love shines in every aspect of my life, that your love comes in and it shines in the darkest recesses of my soul. And you know what? God's calling us there, church. He's calling us to that love. And you know what the funny thing is, is we've got to realize to do that, like my, my, like my solar panels on the roof, in a sense, on a hot day, everybody in Georgia is experiencing the sun and its warmness. But you know what? I realized I had a tree in my garden that was obstructing a lot of that sun and the energy that was just being drained from that. And I feel, in a sense, it's like that with us. When we live in sin, there's certain things that just obstruct the holiness of God, that obstruct, that, that prevent God just shining down into our hearts and beginning to work in us. And I want to challenge you this, this evening. Don't be idle. Allow God to come and remove those things, you know. And sometimes we've got to be ruthless, like I was with that tree. As much as I loved that tree, it looked nice. There came a point and I thought, you know what? This is just an aesthetic thing. It's, it doesn't really serve a purpose. It's nice. It's pretty. But you know what? It doesn't do anything. And many of us accommodate things like that in our lives. We accommodate sin. We accommodate not only sin, but we accommodate things that just prevent God shining and moving in our hearts. You know, Paul says in, oh, it's not Paul, in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. See what he's saying is like, some things are just weights. Some things are sin, and sin, we all, we all need to be free from sin, but some things are not sin. Some things are just weight. They're just not helpful. Some things are just leisures and pleasures, but actually it's not allowing the God to shine into your heart. And you know what I've, I've realized too with my solar panels? I didn't know there was a shade going on my, my solar panels. I didn't see, I didn't look out of my roof and say, okay, okay yeah, there's, the, there's a shade over my panel. Therefore, You know how I realized this? My batteries were getting less and less. Like as winter was coming, the sun was being further away from my house, and the trees on the tree line where it was obstructing started becoming more and more and larger and larger. And, and that's how I realized. I thought realizing my battery's percentage was getting less and less. And by the, by the end of the day, when it was meant to be 100%, it was sitting at 80%. I'm thinking, now, wow, you know, it was a nice day. You know, nothing's happening. And, and I started to see that actually there were trees in my garden that were getting bigger, and there was more flowers and more leaves, and, and I was neglecting that. And so I realized through my battery that the energy was getting less. And you know, it's like that with us as Christians. We don't always see, you, you don't know when you're in the shade. Sometimes we, we, we just like living and we think things are just normal, but we don't know. But you know what you can see? You can see the effects in your life. It's like that battery for me was, it was getting less and less. And you know how it is for Christians? You know how do you judge whether you're in the love of God? Do you know how you do it? 
you check how you are towards others. I've noticed there's often at times I've actually got to withdraw from my wife because there's times my, my love diminishes and I get short with my kids and I get short and I realize in those moments that I'm not dwelling in the love of God. And I want to say there might be even people here this, this evening, you might have relationships where you might have a cold shoulder even, and you might have certain feelings towards something, and it's not that you, like I say, it's not always sin. Sometimes you're just out of sync with people. But can I say, that in itself can be an obstruction. That in itself can prevent that battery from getting charged, from that Spirit of God, which like Paul says, you know, we've got to keep on being empowered. And so in those moments, you're not being empowered. You're not allowing the Spirit to, to empower you. And, uh, and so I want to say, in God's love, there's no shadows. And James warns us that sometimes we can get deceived by that. You know, James 1 verses 16 says, Do not be deceived, my, my beloved brethren. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kinds of firstfruits of his creation. You know what he's saying? Is, Look, don't be deceived by the shadows. Don't be deceived. You'll know. You know how you'll know? Because you won't have the fruit. So don't be deceived. The fruit's not going to be there anymore. And you know, we can do the amazing things. We can do many gifts. We can exercise the gifts in the Spirit, but we, we can still be in the shadow in doing that. Did you know that? I can operate here and teach you, and I can still be having issues and, and not loving my wife right. You know, we can be, that's deception, isn't it? And that's why James is saying, don't be deceived. You'll know by your fruit. And in God, there's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. You know, Jesus warned us in Matthew 20, 24, 12, the love of many will grow cold. And you know, this is the funny thing is, I, as I was, I was thinking about, you know what the thing with love? Because we call to abide in God's love. You know the opposite of love? Sometimes we think, well, I'll know if I'm not in God's love because I'll hate. That's not how Satan works. That's not how deception works. You know what he does? He replaces love with other things, subtleties. And so, just things like, you know, things that we, like, if you think of the world today, one of the biggest words that has kind of replaced love, I think, in our society is the word called tolerance. Tolerance. And, and tolerance in itself can look like quite a noble word. If you look at the word tolerance, you think, oh, well, that's, that's respectable, that's noble. But you know, it doesn't replace love. And God's calling us to love and to be in that love. But the tolerance is the substitute that the enemy wants us to live in because he knows tolerance sounds good. <laughs> he knows tolerance is, is there because we call. And so when you hear the word tolerance, we all think, well, that looks right. Tolerance is fine. And I was looking up the dictionary meaning for tolerance. Did you know in the Oxford Dictionary, if you look at the history of the word tolerance, you'll get 24 definitions okay, of the word tolerance, of which all of them are exclusively negative. So if I said, 
if John asked me, what do you think of JP? Well, I said, well, I can tolerate him. <laughs> or if, if JP says to me, well, what do I think of, uh, who can I use? What do I think of Barbara's cooking? Well, I can say, mmm. I can say, I can tolerate it. <laughs> or let me use another example. Let me think. Hmm. What can I use? I mean, yeah. John says to me, well, John says to John, what do you think of Benny's kids? And he says, well, they're tolerable. Now, does that come in any shape or form as something that's positive? No, it doesn't. You see, it comes disguised as something noble. It comes disguised as something wonderful. But you know what? It's not. And if I were to talk about your attitude, your character, your company, your hospitality as tolerable, there's no way in that definition you're going to see it as something good. And the enemy wants to put that there and say, well, that's, that's the next best thing for you. You can't reach love, but that's fine. Just be tolerable. So when John offends you, just, just tolerate him because, you know, that's what the world's, that's noble today. That's what, that's what our society has accepted. But you know what? We can't accept that as a church. I'm not called to tolerate John. I'm called to love him. I'm called to love everybody here. It's part of our life. That's church. That's family. And God's calling us to that place, church, where we break through from what culture is saying is acceptable and, and is good and is noble. And God's saying it's not. My eyes are still be rags. Tolerance doesn't replace my love. And we begin to blur the lines of what's right and wrong, what's holy and unholy. You see, tolerance reverses the commands of God. And I was looking at Isaiah 5.20. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. See, the thing with tolerance, if you don't tolerate people, you know what you consider the bigot? The church is looking like that today. From the world's perspective, if you don't accept certain beliefs and certain, you're a bigot. Why? Because you're not tolerating. And so that's what it's doing. That's what is happening through the word tolerance. You become the, the marginalized. You become the outcast. You, you become the bad guy. <laughs> and, uh, but we're not called to tolerate. We, we're called to go beyond tolerance. Um, Proverbs 17, 15, it says, He who justifies the wicked... Now, I want to say this is what tolerance does. He who condemns the righteousness, who the righteous, that's what tolerance does, is both like an abomination to the Lord. You think of that. So the moment you buy into tolerance in those things, you can become an abomination to the Lord. We're not called to tolerate, but we are called to love. What did Jesus say? In John 13, 35, by all this will know that you are my disciples, that you tolerate one another. No. No. But you have love for one another. You see, tolerance is not the moral high ground, church. Love is. As we begin to understand love, as we begin to under, we've got to be in the sphere of God to really experience this love. Because this love is more than just inclusivism. 
This love is willing to say, because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. Because I love you, I've got to show you that this is the way. Because the problem with sin isn't just that it makes you a bad person. The problem with sin is it brings destruction, it kills you. And so we've got to warn people. We've, we've got to evangelize to people. Can I say, but we can't evangelize to people through tolerance. We've got to show people what sin is because that's what love does. It reveals sin. It doesn't go, it doesn't cower away from what is unrighteous. It doesn't try and hide and begin to blur the lines of what God considers holy because he says to us, be holy because I am holy. And I'm coming back and I'm going to see what holiness is. I'm going to show you what holiness is. And when you come, you're either going to cower and you're going to, in a sense, die because of that. Or you're going to reach out to him and say, God, this is what I've been wanting all my life. I've been striving for your holiness. I know now at this present time, I'm a stranger to it. But every day as you sanctify me, as you take me from one degree of glory to the next, I'm getting closer. Just not yet. But when I see you, Jesus, I will become like you, the scripture says. Proverbs 28, 23, it says, He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterwards than he who flatters with the tongue. Psalm 55, 21, it says, The words of the mouth were smoother than butter, but the war was in his heart. His words were softened than oil, yet there, was, there were drawn swords. You see, love will say what it is, but we call to speak the truth, but we call to speak the truth in love. See, it's not just that we're not just speaking the truth. It's not that we're just loving. It's that we've got to speak the truth. But we do it in love because that is what transforms people. That's what brings people from glory to glory. And you know what, church? There's no substitute for love. Have you ever thought of that? There's no substitute for love. Why? Because God is love. Bible says that he's love. So if there's no substitute for love, there's no substitute for God either, because he's love. And when we present people the true love of God, we're actually presenting God himself to that person. That's why tolerance cannot replace love, because tolerance cannot replace God. I want to close in this. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 9. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever has love has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. And so we can't embrace tolerance in order to be a true witness for Jesus. We've got to embrace love. And I want to just encourage you guys because we're living in a time where it's going to be more difficult to express this love. And I'm not talking about among, among each other. This, this is a given. I want to say if you're dealing with things and you're working through issues of love, do it now. Don't waste time. When you break bread... Don't break bread with a brother that might be preventing you from living in the love of God. That's, that's a given. That's a, I shouldn't even have to say it from the pulpit. But I, I do want to encourage us that as we begin to present the gospel to the world, 
that we do it in love and we do it with the, with the knowledge that this love is a transforming love. This love is a saving love. And we can't just preach the, the love of God that's all accepting, all inclusive, generic, tolerable. That is not what God has called us to do. And I know it's getting hard as a church. It's getting, but you know what? It's the Holy Spirit that works through us. And I want to encourage you guys. We've been having, like we were talking this last Tuesday with, uh, Wednesday with Life and Doctrine, just bringing that thing. And, and Sean was giving us very practical handles of loving people, things that would be an expression, an outworking of love. And so I want to encourage you guys. We've got a mission field. We've got a, a field out there. And so just think about it for the moment. Where's your field? Where's your field? Who are the people that God's called you to minister to? Awkward with his jumping castles, Denise with her baking. You know, we've all got a field. We've all got a place which we can minister, but we've got to do it in love. And people got to see the consistency of that in our lives, that Jesus is working, but he's working through me and in me. Amen. Let's bow our heads and just, yeah, thank you, Jesus.